Well, if you're going to do things like that, I'd prefer the Reverend Raymond Malcolm James Lowe. <laughs> what my mother was thinking of, goodness knows, when I got named. We parked in the guest slot this morning, not because we're guests, but we're getting old and we can't walk that far anymore. <laughs> but it's wonderful to be here. I sense that uh, there's an expectancy amongst us um, the, the, this morning. And uh, it's wonderful when we come. We should always expect God, but sometimes there's just something happens, isn't it? Yeah. And which touches perhaps the parts that sometimes we don't get touched. Yeah. But God's always present. And I know sometimes we say, Holy, come Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is always with us. In fact, he indwells us. So, But there's other times when you just think, wow. And uh, we're grateful for those times. I want to start, I want to ask you a question. And I'm not trick, trying to be tricky this morning, although I can be tricky occasionally. And they might come a bit later. But let me ask you a question. Because this morning I want to, I wanted to t really talk about being very biblical. So here's a question. Okay, it comes straight out of the the scriptures and is this who wants God's face to shine upon us this morning any of you come on come on I know I don't like the hands up stuff but let's have a few hands up this morning all right so and now why why do we want that well let me tell you why may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among the nations. That's why God chose Israel. They were to be a light to the... But they failed to do that until one true Israelite came, Jesus. And then we came into Jesus, so we are now true Israel. We're true Jews in that sense. And we have been circumcised, but in our hearts. And, and that's why. So the, the interpretation of that prophetic tongue was that God, God loves this region, this area, but he loves the nations. And uh, last week we heard so wonderfully from Steve, particularly about God's heart for the nation. So we're here, not just for ourselves. Hey, we're here for the world. Wow, what a calling that we have. So, this morning, I was talking with Steve earlier this week of how we follow up. Um, there, should be a, there should be something here to put your notes. Who designed that thing? Somebody would have to help me get that up if I need it again later. You think I'm kidding. Um, we, we were discussing, you know, how to follow up. And one of the things that has really come out of last week's conference, it's, it's not new, but I think we got, we, we, we got hold of that God wants us to grow and he wants us to multiply. And we're thinking about, you know, connecting. Thanks very much, Jim. Yeah, there's the little one. I could have done that, but that, that would do me. Um, <laughs> we, we, we are talking about connecting the dots, aren't we? Right up through the bitter root, up that way, that way. And, 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 and that seems that God is speaking to us. But 
We need resources to do that. We need people to do that. We, we need mature disciples to do that. You just don't go out and plant churches because if, un, unless you prepare, unless you're ready, you just make a mess of it. And uh, that's, that's not the way God does things. And so we were, we were talking about that and Steve was saying, I think you should preach that word. But uh, um, I'm grateful to Mike Dean because I said something last week. Where's Mike? Where's Mike? There's Mike there. Uh, I'm grateful to Mike because I said something last week when I was preaching last Saturday, which he, he commented on and um, chatted it through with Josh. Josh chatted it through to me. And it was when I said that so, I, I sometimes get a little fed up when evangelists want, just want you to put your hand up for Jesus and then they count numbers and then you hear all these numbers have been saved. I get a little bit, I, I, I'm not too much into that. It wasn't to disparage evangelists. It was just to say, I want to see the genuine thing. Um, and God wants the genuine thing. And as I thought, I thought about that, and I, I thought, well, actually, then I'm, I'm going to talk this morning um, on really, what, what, what do we understand as the biblical evidence for true salvation? And, and that's very important for us for, for two reasons. One, because it's good every now and then just to check ourselves out and say, well, actually, am I continuing in what I began in? But also, hey, we have a call on our lives to make disciples. And, uh, you know, people start a journey, but we have the responsibility of walking through that journey with them. And Jesus said, Dis go and disciple people, but teach them all that I taught you. We're here to multiply ourselves. We're here to pass on. And if we are going to plant churches and we are going to see this whole area, this region, as God spoke prophetically to us, so this morning through Cameron, then obviously we need to, to know what have we got to produce in order to reproduce, if I can put it, if I can put it that way. Uh, I want to tell you a story. Last year, uh, or for years, Sue and I have always missed the rodeo here. We've never been to a rodeo. Can you believe that? Hey, can you believe that? But last year, we had the opportunity of going with a number of you to the rodeo. Do you remember? Some of you came. Who came with us or took us to the rodeo? Well, it was a memorable evening for a number of reasons. The first was when we arrived there, there was a preacher there with a little crowd around him and he's obviously a few hangers-on. And uh, he was lambasting the people. Do you know that word? He was giving them a bad time. And he was telling them they were going to hell because they were homosexuals, because they took drugs, and because some had abortions and they were living immoral lives and they smoked and they overdrank and all sorts of things and they're going to hell, he said. And it got up my nose, that's in English. <laughs> so I went across and stopped him. I said, stop. They know the bad news. Why don't you tell them the good news? Why don't you tell them about the Jesus who loves them who laid down his life so they don't have to be homosexual or take drugs. Why don't you do that? And then someone said, this is the kingdom of God. I said, no, it's love, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. And then I thought, I was getting, perhaps I'm going to get arrested. I'll never get in, into a rodeo. But actually, I just got the impression that people were more with me 
than they were with them. And then a woman came and stood beside them and she had a placard which says, don't believe what they say, just love them. <laughs> I thought that was great. But then we, we thoroughly enjoyed the rodeo. Just the horseman and horsemanship and the horsewomanship, whatever it is. I just don't want to be, uh, you know what I mean? You've got to be politically correct these days. But those gals on the horses... And, and those guys, it wasn't it amazing? We'd never been to anything. And then at the end, Mike Hagen, who I miss Mike Hagen. I usually beat him at golf. And there aren't many people I beat at golf, so I, I miss Mike Hagen. But Mike, stood up, well, Mike was there at the end, and, and it was a little precursor for what he was going to do on Sunday. But he knocked these three nails, long nails, into a thick. Oh, I don't know how you do that. I could probably do it with my head, but I couldn't do it with my hand. And he, he then just spoke on the three nails that were nailed Jesus to the cross. And then he said this, it wasn't the nails that kept Jesus there. It was his love. And, 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 and Mike was just great. And, uh, and this is, he, he spoke about the cross. He spoke of Jesus' love for mankind. He spoke about our sin. He spoke about our need for forgiveness. And he spoke about the need for repentance and he and he offered Jesus freely to the people and that's the contrast and it was so marked I said to Sue because although I'd known Mike for years and he'd heard me preach I'd never actually heard him speak and it was so good wasn't it so I was so impressed and so sad that it was only a couple of weeks later that Mike went to glory but that was that was the that was the that was that was the contrast uh, and I know Mike spoke the next day, and I know they were, he offered Jesus, Jesus freely to those who will listen. But Mike can't save anybody, neither can I, neither can you. Only God can save. And the scriptures tell us clearly that God knows those who are his. But we also want to know that we belong to him. We want that assurance of salvation. And it is our responsibility as we help people that we, we have some indications that people are walking down that track with Jesus because our responsibility is to disciple them. So it's important for us to know these, um, to know these indications that people have responded well um, to Jesus. And, and, and it is response. So when someone puts their hand up, they're making a response. But remember Jesus said, remember the parable of the sower? He said there were several responses. Only one of them actually led to, uh, to salvation. It's a response to God's word. It wasn't just the, the word of salvation that, that that parable refers to. But when people hear the word of God, it's their hearts. And, and you and I know, and we've, we've, I mean, one of the sad things when you're a church leader is that you sometimes spend... Uh, load of time with people you think they're there and then down the way they, they they're not with you anymore now it's not for you to judge but we want we, we don't want to be foolish either we want to be wise and we want to be we want to be understanding my own stories some of you know but when I was 18 I left I left school at 18 I had enough qualifications to go to university I'd hoped to go to um, 
um, a training college to become a teacher in physical education, sport, that was my love, and, and get a degree there. But the reason I didn't go doesn't really matter. But I went to work for a large company in London called the Prudential Assurance Company. They're a worldwide company. And in the office where I worked, there were 5,000 people there. So it was a very, very big office in a place called Home and Bars up in London. And a wonderful place to work because if you're any good at sport, you didn't need to do very much work. You just represented them at sport. And I just loved it. Um, I, 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 they employed me mainly to play tennis, um, but um, I played soccer, I played badminton, I played squash um, and uh, what have you. And, and it was a wonderful place to be. Um, I worked on the legal department, the law department. And uh, Sue was a, a secretary there as well, so that was where I got to, to know Sue. But every evening after work, there was something. You could go to the theatre, the cinema, uh, photography clubs, Calibre. Oh, it was everything, and it was all free, so it was wonderful. And I used to go to a, um, a, a sort of meeting once a month where you know they talked about how they were going to increase the facilities and make your life more pleasant so you didn't have to work too too hard because it really didn't matter whether you worked or not because the potential insurance company owned london owned england anyway most of the property they owned, so it didn't really matter it was just you know it was gonna um it, they were gonna prosper anyway and i used to go to this meeting but i get lost this, this place here is a nightmare to me mullins uh, um, uh, all these roads, Sue says you go down Mullins or you, 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 you uh, what, what are the other names of the roads? Uh, there's three now I've learned. But if I, if, if, I tell you, if, they, if, they, if there is a, uh, if, if they, if they, you know, like the other day they had a march, didn't they? I didn't go out. I don't go out when you march because they close roads and I'm lost. And one evening I went to this meeting I went to on a monthly basis and I ended up in a Christian union meeting by mistake. And I, I, um, that wasn't where I expected to be. Uh, I was a very happy pagan, um, loved sport, uh, didn't mess around, never, never taken drugs in my life or anything like that because I didn't want to mess my sport up. And, um, and then I heard this lady share about Jesus in a very intimate way. And that began me in, a, in, a, in about a six-month time of really reading the scriptures and, um, and uh, uh, you know, really asking people questions it was it was my my journeying in that initial initial stages and then one saturday afternoon i was playing soccer um for the uh, i played for their for the prudential and i was playing soccer in north north london and i wanted to go and hear a preacher in the evening we went into extra time now in october in england it just tiddles with rain the whole afternoon it comes down tiddle you know that word do you Oh, okay, okay, good, good. That's a polite way of saying it. And it just, it poured and poured. We went into extra time. So we played 90 minutes, then 30 minutes. And I was late getting to this meeting because I kept getting cramp in the back of my legs on my motorbike. And I was going to meet Suit there. And by the time I got there, the guy was preaching. And he was really, he was speaking out of Romans. Uh, he was, he was um, Britain's answer to Billy Graham, really. Um, a lovely old evangelist. I'm trying to think of his name now. I've got it written down here, down down here somewhere. Dick, Dick Tom Reese. Look him up on. Um, he's dead now, but look him up. Look him up on your Google. He was a famous evangelist. Beautiful, beautiful man. And, he, and and I remember him saying this. He was saying that you're not just flesh and blood, but you are spirit as well. But because of sin, your spirit is not in tune with God. 
and, and, uh, and you need to believe in Jesus. And uh, Jesus spoke to me and he said something like this. You believe, so why don't you come in? <laughs> and I hear myself saying, right, I'm in, count me in. Um, and, and that was it. I went to the front. It wasn't exactly an altar call, but it was come to the front. And I went and they gave me a St. John's Gospel. Couldn't afford the whole Bible, but St. John's Gospel was a start. And uh, go away and find a church and, and say your prayers. Now, that was discipleship in the 1960s in England. That was it. No, I'm serious, folks. That was the state of the church, but there were some great evangelists, some great evangelists um, around. And uh, we want to do better than that. We want to do better than that. We want to offer Jesus freely and biblically, and we want to disciple people so that we have the resources to let God's light shine on us so we can reach the regions beyond the nations. So here are six things that I think are important evidences. They're not exclusive because there's many, many more. The first thing is, is repentance. And now repentance, it's, it's an interesting word this. It, the Greek word is metanoa and it's often translated in the scriptures as a turnabout or a turning round. But actually that's not what it actually means. It, it literally means a change, to have a change of mind, and it's linked with a change of mind because of regret and remorse, or what we might say brokenness. Okay, now, brokenness can be an emotion and is an emotion, but, but, but if it leads to a change of mind, and we know once we are saved, the Apostle Paul tells us, that our minds are being renewed all the time. But conversion is the beginning of that. We change our minds. So we, we change our minds that we were once alien to God. Now we are for God and we want to be with God. And then we move on. And our minds are being renewed all the time. Like to, this morning, our thinking will be renewed through, through the preaching of the word if it's good and true preaching of the word now we know that salvation is unconditional you know that don't you you know you can't work your salvation so therefore repentance cannot be a work it has to be a response we know we're saved by grace we know that and this is a hard one isn't it sometimes how can you get your your mind around it but what happens is this the gospel is preached. Jesus is presented freely. And in amongst those that it's presented to, there are those who respond in that hard way. It's good ground that's been prepared. And the response to that belief is then wanting to say sorry. You ever hurt anybody you love? Sadly, sometimes we do, don't we? You know, sometimes I, I hurt Sue. I don't like doing that, but it's done. What do I do straight away? I say, sorry. Now, women sometimes take longer than men to get over these things, so I keep saying sorry in the hope that she might get over it. But God's not like that. Once we say sorry to God, that's it. It's a done deal, isn't it? Yes, I'm serious. It's a done deal. 
We're not like God, but he wants us to be more and more like him. So repentance, it, 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 it follows. When, when Peter preached the gospel at Pentecost, it says they were cut to their hearts. What does that mean? Remorse, regret. They crucified God's son. And Peter said this, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we preach repentance, but we know it is not a condition because those whose hearts are being prepared, they will receive that word and there will be repentance. It may not be immediate. It may not be immediate. God, we're different. So Saturday night, I, I met with Jesus. I went home, and my mother said to me in the morning, where were you last night? And I said, I became a Christian last night, Mum. I won't tell you what she said, because it wasn't very nice. She said, we brought you up to be a Christian. Don't be so daft. <laughs> so Monday morning, I'm going up to Hoban Bars, getting on the train. Now, I was working a little scam for 18 months since I'd worked, because in those days, there was no turnstiles at train stations. Some of you have heard me say this before. So what I'd do, I'd time it, because I could run. These legs, little legs, were good in those days, and I could run. So as the train's coming into the station, I run. I know the guy on the, on the ticket. I say, John, I'll get a ticket the other end. So I go my 10 stations. Instead of paying for 10 stations, I pay for two, which saves me a load of money. So I get saved on Saturday night. I'm running. Not so bad. I'm going to have a new knee in a few months, so I'll run a bit better. I get there. John, I'll get a ticket the other end. I pay for only two instead of ten. Save myself a lot of money. I'm 100 yards, 100 metres, 100 yards, up home and viaduct, and I hear that voice I heard Saturday night that says, you believe, why don't you come in? But this time he said, we don't live that way anymore. <laughs> so what did I do? I turned around, went back to the station, met with the station master, and I confessed what I've been doing for 18 months, and I went before a court in London where I confessed guilty, I was fined, and ordered to pay some costs, but the judge was a little intrigued, and he said, what other evidence is there against Mr. Lowe? And the railway, the, uh, the lawyer representing the railway authorities said this, my lad, he had a religious experience and confessed. I had the best religious experience probably ever had. I met with Jesus in salvation. So that was my repentance. That was the, that was the beginning of my... So, you know, so these things have to be real. And that's why I don't disparage the, these evangelistic means. Because I, I came to Jesus in one uh, as well. So repentance is the first. The second really is this. It's really a desire to develop in this newfound relationship with Jesus. In other words, if there's not a hunger, then something is wrong. If I've met with Jesus on Saturday night and something's not happening Monday morning, something is wrong. And it's the, it's the ground that's wrong, not the word that was preached that was wrong. Peter says this, like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk and you know so if it, we, we have a desire to know where, so where do we know about God well I got a St John's gospel if there's no desire to want to read that St John's gospel if there's no desire to want to know more then something 
Something didn't happen that should have done. The transaction wasn't as good as it should have been. So we read the living word in also in order that we may know the incarnate word, as the word that became flesh. And when we come to God, we, we learn, we come as sons. We're not coming anymore as sinners. Now when, because there was no discipleship, one of the things I was told when I came to Christ, and I'm 20 years of age, um, is this, that when you come and speak to God, you tell him, first of all, you're a sinner and you're not worthy of anything. Well, actually, that didn't help me because by the time I confessed my sins, there wasn't much time left for anything else. When I met Terry Virgo many years later, here, by that time, I'm a, I'm a reasonably successful minister uh, leading a good church and planting others. So I was in my mid-30s and Terry and I went away and we, we, we spent the morning in prayer and Terry said, I pray through the Lord's Prayer, so let's use that. And I said, fine. And then Terry began to sing. He began to sing songs to God, began to sing in the Spirit. And then he began to pray and thank God for grace and our sonship. I thought, hold on, what happened to repentance? And, and I talked to Terry about it. So that's, that's important, but it's down the list. God wants us to come as sons and daughters. We have a relationship with him now. And, and whilst confession is not unimportant, it's not God's priority anymore, he dealt with it at the cross. I'll tell you, that just released me. Wow, I haven't got to come as a sinner anymore because actually I'm no longer a sinner. I'm elite. At worst, I'm a forgiven sinner, but at best, I'm a son. I come in sonship. You know, and we are co-heirs with Jesus. We're going to inherit all he has inherited. That blows your mind away, doesn't it? We are co-workers, but co- Wow. So, so, we, so, we, so developing in this relationship, it is because we are sons. So the word is so important to us. And then there's, there's this fellowship. We need others. Hungry. There should be a hungry to go. I used to ask so many questions. Before I was saved, this Christian union, by the way, that I went to rarely had visitors and never had visitors like me. Okay? So they would see me, those Christian union members, in the staff room at lunchtime, you know, playing poker or whatever. They never, ever judged me. They just loved me. So I used to turn up to that meeting. Some of them were a bit zealous, get me on my knees and try and pray for me, and I'd, you know, I'd say amen and run. Um, but they loved me. And uh, so, but, so they were, but I, I, they, I would go because I had questions. And I could tell you stories, hilarious ones that we haven't, we haven't got time um, this morning. But it was, it was, so I was asking questions, fellowship with others. If, if we have that, that desire for fellowship, well, what sort of salvation did we have? <laughs> we used to have a, where, where Sue and I, Sue and I got married when we were 21. So a year after getting, uh, meeting the Lord, I got married. Sue had been a Christian from about 12, but really at about 19, she'd, there'd been a, a real encounter with God that had changed a lot of things, and we got married. And we used to have a preacher come around called Pastor North. He was famous, a little infamous, to be honest. Um, he wasn't everybody's cup of tea, but you know what? 
He would come and on a Saturday would fill a house. People would be up the stairs, sitting in the fire grate, wherever you could get in. And this guy would preach for about six hours over three sessions. No notes. Uh, he was, and he, he knew his Bible. Now, I, I, I could say it today, I don't agree with everything he said. But in those days, I didn't know anything. I was hungry. And we'd go and sit under this man's ministry. I took a friend with me once. Uh, he was a churchgoer. I didn't know whether he was saved or not. Came in the meeting, and Wally North, as he was, was there. And he just pointed at this guy, and he fell on the floor. And he never heard anything preached. And Wally said to me afterwards, just take him home and love him. And you've won one for Christ. And we did, him and his wife, one for Christ. They, they, and we used to love those because we saw some power. He had a funny thing about head covering, but he frightened the life out. He'd say, there's spirit, evil spirits in this place. Ladies, cover your heads. I'll take authority. for You'd put anything over your head, men as well. And he'd deliver people. Oh, it was powerful stuff. But do you know why we went? Because we were hungry. Now, if you don't have a hunger, some of you, some of you folks, you'll travel a long way for a good steak. If we won't travel a long way to meet with God, then there's something wrong. My dad used to love draft Guinness. It's an Irish drink. I don't like it. You've got to have a taste for it. My dad would walk miles for a glass of Guinness. Why? Because it suited his taste. And if Jesus, if we met with Jesus and he doesn't suit our taste. So, important, isn't it? So there we are. I, I devoured books. Here's the books I devoured when I got saved because these were the books. And I mentioned some of the Gates of Splendor. Yeah? Elizabeth Elliot. Yeah? Okay. I know I'm older than most of you here. Cross and the Switchblade, David Wilkinson. God Smuggler, Brother Andrew. Corrie Ten Boom. What a doll she is. Or was. Wow, all that stuff. And influences. I remember going to, um, well, I was going to say it was a conference. We didn't call it. It was a holiday thing, really. And I, 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 I didn't know very much, so I didn't do very much, other than just do all the sport of this holiday thing. We had this guy come along called Stanley Banks. Uh, the main speaker couldn't come. He went ill, and they invited this guy called Stanley Banks. No one knew who he was. No one had a clue who he was. And he was the principal of a holiness Bible college in the north of England. And he came and he spoke on the Holy Spirit of all people every morning for an hour. And then he, he, would, he would just throw it out. He'd say, I'm going to go and walk to, down to the beach tonight after some coffee. Anybody wants to join me, just come. And no one went except me. And boy, this man, you know, I don't, I, I mean, he would have had a different view on the Holy Spirit to what I'd had, but it didn't matter. And in the end, I said to him, Stanley, I want what you got. And he said, really? Well, it'll give it, cause you a lot of problems if you get what I got. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he said, he said I'm aware of God's presence every moment of the day. He said, if you want that, it's going to give you a lot of problems because that means there's going to be a lot of conviction. I said, I want it. I remember me kneeling down on these, this pebbly beach at a place called Warmer uh, on the Kent coast and asking God. And I want to tell you, folks, it has given me a lot of problems. I don't get away with what I used to get away with. But, you know, when you, when you meet somebody like that, you get onto their coattails because you've got a hunger. 
And the people that I spoke to you about, Jim Elliott, Ed Sullivan, those, those guys, Nat Saint, they were hungry to fulfill God's call on their lives. Okay? And we know what God says about lukewarm Christians. I will spew you out of my mouth. In other words, you make me sick. I would sooner you were cold than lukewarm. And we won't reach the nations with lukewarmness. I read someone's commitment manual the other day, and it had three levels. Minimal commitment, um, uh, average commitment, and more commitment. I thought, how pathetic. Jesus does not offer us minimal commitment. He says, take up your cross. So I'm going to rewrite that one for them in a week's, week or so's time. Okay, or get the sack, one or the other. A desire for change. A desire for change. Now, let me just read you what I think is probably the... You won't follow it in your Bible. Because I'm reading from Tom. Tom Wright, one of the world's leading theologians. I've done a brilliant translation of the New Testament. Let, let me read you what is a description or definition... Of, of salvation, all right? Now, you got a bit excited yesterday because the Grizzlies won, okay? Don't get too excited, you're three up in the Ryder Cup because we usually give you a start of three or four anyway, you know, just to make you feel you're still in the game. Okay, if you want to holler and shout, you may, okay? I know you get excited about the Grizzlies and that's good, but listen to this. This is probably the best in the, in, in the New Testament. Listen to this. What are we to say then? Shall we continue in the state of sin so that gr grace may increase? Certainly not. We died to sin. How can we still live in it? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into the Messiah, Jesus, were baptized into his death? That means that we were buried with him through baptism into death so that just as the Messiah was raised from the dead through the Father's glory, we too might behave with a new quality of life. Is that good news? Is that the gospel? That is the good news. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. That is why we know this is our assurance. Our old humanity was crucified with the Messiah so that the bodily solidarity of sin might be abolished and we, we should no longer be enslaved to sin. Wow, we have a new propensity. Hallelujah. A person who has died, you see, has been declared free from all charges of sin. But if we died with the Messiah, we believe that we shall live with him. Okay? And we're not talking about heaven. We're talking about now. We shall live with him. We know that the Messiah has been raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has any authority over him. The death he died, you see, he died to sin. Once and once only. 
but the life he lives, he lives to God in the same way. You too must calculate yourselves as being dead to sin and alive to God in the Messiah Jesus. So don't allow sin to rule in your mortal body to make you obey its desires. Nor should you present your limbs and organs to be used for its wicked purposes. You see, preaching that to those guys outside of the rodeo couldn't do anything. All he could do is condemn them. But preach Jesus, the Messiah, who loved you and gave himself as a ransom for you. They come into this. So it becomes now the norm rather than the abnorm. That is good news, folks. We no longer in Christ have a propensity to sin. Our, our propensity is to, is to want to live righteously. Okay? Wow, this is good news. This is, gets, 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 just gets better, doesn't it? We should not present our limbs and organs to be used for its wicked purposes. And we used to do that, didn't we? You know, when we got involved in all sorts of things. It was our bodies. Rather, present yourselves to God as people alive from the dead and your limbs and organs to God to be used for the righteous purposes of his covenant. Sin won't actually rule over you, you see, since you are not under law, but you are now under grace. Wow, what a gospel we have. That's what's been, that's how we know. So, so our, our third one is a desire for change. If we have no desire to want to change. See, yeah, you know the old, you know, the old hymn that talks about coming to you know, Jesus, just, I, I, I come without one plea. To Jesus I come. Well, that's right. We come as we are, but he doesn't leave us as we are. That's the wonderful thing. We now have a responsibility because he's made us alive and he's given us the power of his spirit within us. So Monday morning, it would have been, it would have been strange if I hadn't turned around and gone back to those police authorities and got myself a record in, 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 in that court. But if there's no desire to change my habits, my sins, character traits, anger, I bring a lot of baggage, so do you, into the kingdom of God. But we leave it with Christ. But now we have the power to no longer be slaves to that baggage. If there is no desire, if there is no crying out, God, help me, help me. I don't want to be like that anymore, Lord, because it takes time. Justification is instant. Sanctification is lifetime. You with me? That's the difference, okay? That's why we baptize people when they get saved, not when they're holy. That's why the early church made that mistake. We baptize people who have met with Jesus. I, used to, I baptize people who respond to the gospel. I baptize them on... People say, why don't you give them baptismal classes? I said, well, they made a confession of faith. I baptise on that. Well, what if they weren't safe? Well, they got wet. It's not a problem. They got wet. And we'll get them wet, and maybe a few times more before they get the real thing. That doesn't bother me. It doesn't seem to bother God. Let's not be so religious. In 94... And Sue wished it had been in 64. 
But I only, it was the, you know, out of the um, Toronto blessing, I had a, a mighty encounter with God. And uh, because of that, I felt as a church we needed to you know, really seek God a lot more. And every Tuesday we fasted and prayed and we came together in the evening. And uh, we prayed for people. Sometimes people couldn't even share what we were praying for. But I knew, I knew within my church there had been a lot of counselling going on and nothing had happened. I'm not a great fan of counselling either. Let me just explain what I understand by true biblical counselling. It's bringing the Word of God to people and letting the Word of God and the Holy Spirit set them free and you keep going until it happens, all right? So anybody got... Come on, want to take me to task on that one afterwards? I'm, I'm very happy, but you bring your Bible with you, all right? Because I think sometimes we spend hours and hours and hours counselling people. Why? Because they want attention. And uh, that's not the way that it should be, okay? So I, in 94, uh, we, we, we had every Tuesday night, and we had a young... I mean, we saw people healed, we saw people set free of things that they'd been carrying around for a very, very long time. But we had a young woman... And her husband come to Sue and I, and we had spent hours counselling them uh, without any effect. And she suffered from a thing called vaginismus. Would you know what that is? Okay, it's a medical condition, but it's reckoned to be psychosomatic, that when a young woman who is a virgin gets married, she cannot have relationships because her muscles contract. And, and I'd read books on it, I'd studied it, because I, this, this young couple... I mean, what a sad state of affairs. They've been married for probably about 10 years. They had managed two children, but believe you me, it was a very painful thing. And uh, we, I mean, and that nobody knew, we knew, because we'd spent time uh, with this couple. <laughs> and she just said to me, she said, Ray, I want you to pray for me. And I thought, oh no, all my faith disappeared in a moment. And the best I could offer was, we're going to ask God, the Holy Spirit, to show us something that maybe be a, a, you know, a key to understanding this. And she began to cry and weep. And I said to her, what's your problem? She said, if I tell you, you'll hate me, you'll hate me. I said, come on, I'd never hate you. This, this kid had actually, I'd led her, her mum to, to the Lord in my lawyer's office. And she and her two children, she with her brother and her, her mother came and lived with us for a while because we led them to the Lord. So she's like a daughter. And she told this story of how when she was 12 years of age, she and a number of other girls had, uh, had sexually abused a young guy. And she said, I see his look, on, I see the look on his face now. It's the judgment of God. I said, no, it's not. Jesus took the punishment. Do you know God set her free like that? Wow! I tell you, when you get a big one like that, you know, and only God can do it. Ray Lowe can't do that. Come on, let's, let's be real about this. The best you can be is his conduit. And sometimes we're not very good at that. It doesn't matter. He, he wonderfully set her free. So next week, I am cock-a-hoop. You know what that means? You don't have that word? It's not a rude word in English. Cock-a-hoop means you're, you're really, oh, it's, you're just going for it. So I am driving through a little village and I'm praying, we're fasting. I'm saying to God, tonight we're going to do some stuff. And Jesus said to me, tonight it's your turn. I said, what do you mean? He said, all your anger. I said, Lord, I'm a volatile guy. 
he said, it's unrighteous, it's time to be set free. And I'm leading this thing. It's a bit embarrassing, isn't it, when you go to a meeting. So I said to some of the guys, right, told them what it was, don't make a song and dance about this, just, just pray. And I had this vision, a picture of me, my mother, I was an only child, my mother was very demanding, very possessive. She wanted the best boy in the world and it just put terrible pressure on me. So I had a terrible inferiority complex and, and I used to get angry. And I can remember my eighth birthday, she, it was this birthday card. Now in those days, in a birthday card, there was always money, you know. People weren't so mean as they are today. So my mother would say, how much have you got from aunt so-and-so and that? And there was this, uh, this postal order for two shillings and sixpence. And uh, I, I couldn't read who it was from. And my mother just said to me, You're, you, you are an imbecile. You'll never do any good. You, 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 you can't even read. And it all came flooding back. No, no, there was no big emotional thing. But God set me free. And I changed, and Sue, Sue started giving me a bad time. I say, Sue, why are you giving me a bad time? She said, well, I can now, can't I? You're not going to get angry. <laughs> hey, hey, look, there are magic moments with God. There are magic moments with God. We want to we take any one of them that's coming. But, but sanctification, you see, it's in his time. He deals with us, and he knows when. Um, she's never, for, well, she's probably given God a bad time over that one. It could have been earlier in our marriage. When we pray, Lord, thy kingdom come, we're not just praying for others. We should pray for ourselves first. Because I, when I went into full-time ministry, I was a very critical guy, which, which, which was good when you're a lawyer, but not so good when you're a pastor. And I had to cry to God, God, you can have a... As I've often said, the difference between pastors and lawyers is this. Lawyers, your clients do what you tell them, and they pay you well. When you're a pastor, the people you now serve don't do what you tell them, and they don't pay you very well. So you need deliverance. Okay, number four. Number four. Are we all right, Josh, for time? Well, it's tough. I'm going to go on until I finish, and if people are still here, that's okay. Okay, Mike's going to stay anyway, aren't you, Mike? Mike's staying. Okay. Another evidence is that here we're open to God's conviction of sin. And we, 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 we read there in Romans that do not let sin reign over you. We're no longer a slave to sin, but we have responsibility to make choices. So as to how we walk is our choice. The difference between us now and before that is that we now have the power to make the choice. He doesn't live for us. We live for him. You with with Okay. He doesn't live for us. We now live for him. But it's his life within us that lives out. But we make the choice. So I had to make that choice whether to turn around and go and confess to the, to the railway authorities or not. He didn't turn me around. Some of people say, oh, God will do it. God won't do it. He's given us the power to do it. Okay? That's so important. We can't blame God for our behavior. In fact, we can't blame anybody for our bad, bad behavior. Because our new nature is alien to sin. John says, but... If, and it is if, not when, anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. That's great, isn't it? John also says this. Listen to this one. This is how powerful that life of Jesus, the Messiah, is in you. Whoever claims to live in him, 
Do we all claim to live in him this morning? Well, a lot of us do. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as he did. Wow! What? Wow, that's a bit heavy, isn't it? No, it's not, folks. No, no, his burden's light. He's given us his spirit so that we can make the right choices. That doesn't mean to say they'll be easy. Unconfessed sin neutralizes us so we don't walk well. So I can, I, I can never... I can never operate in the Holy Spirit with a bad conscience. Can't do it. That's why I've built certain things into my life to make sure there are certain things I don't do where I know I'm weak. Okay, I won't elaborate on that maybe another time. Okay, now David, take David. David was a man after God's own heart. Yes, God loved David the bits. But David got stupid when he was in his 40s. Middle age crisis came for David. He should have been on a horse. He should have been out in battle. He he was too old to fight anymore. But he should have been there right with his armies. Yes? But he wasn't. He did what some of you do sometimes. I'll have a lion. The trouble with lions, especially when you're lying on your own, don't help because it gets your mind going. And David eventually gets out of bed. I don't know what time it is. It's probably in the afternoon. And he's, on, he's walking on the roof. And he sees this gorgeous woman naked bathing because she's just purifying herself from her period. And, of course, doing, he's in trouble, isn't he? He just looks at her and she reaches parts that others don't reach. So now he's got... Lust. Now, if he'd looked away at that moment, okay, because you can't help what you see sometimes. Oh, no. So he's, so what does he do? He makes inquiries. He calls for her, and they have sex. She was probably raped because no one says no to the king. And then she's pregnant. That's a problem, isn't it? So what do you do? Her husband is fighting and so he calls him home, Uriah. He calls him home and says, Uriah, you've been, a, you've, been, you, you've been a great soldier. As a reward, I'm bringing you back. Go home, enjoy your wife. He gets him drunk first. Go home, enjoy your wife. And uh, then, you know, so the whole thing's covered up. So it's, it's, it's Uriah's, the Uriah's baby. I wouldn't get away with that because I've got that cleft chin, you see. But David, what, what did Uriah do? Here, listen, listen. Uriah is more righteous than this wretched king. He says, why my mates are in the battle? I'm not going to enjoy sex with my wife. So he sleeps outside the bedroom. This man is honourable. And David finds out, he says, right, when you get into the battle, this is what I want you to do. Get him in the front line and withdraw from him so he gets killed. So he's killed. This is, this is David. Did he lose his salvation? No. But he lost the load, didn't he? Because there's consequences to sin. Here's the man who's after God's own heart. And, and listen, listen to this. This is, this is awful. 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 2.25, when he learned that Uriah was dead, this is what he said. He said, well, he says, don't let this upset you. Um, don't let this upset you. The sword devours one 
as well as another. Well, just tough luck. That was bad luck, wasn't it? Let's get on with life now. <laughs> How can you function with, a, with that? First, same chapter, it says this, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. And the Lord loved him too much to let him get away with it. And so a prophet went to him called Nathan and confronted him with his sin. Now, isn't it interesting that in Psalm 51, Psalm 51 is the background to David's repentance and confession. Now, like David, I confess my sins as well. But I wouldn't bring them to Heather and ask her to put it to music. Would you? No, no, no. I don't even tell Sue. I tell God. But David doesn't do that. David actually writes this psalm and gives it to the worship leader. I mean, the worship, that was a bit embarrassing, isn't it? Because they all knew what he'd been up to. But he's the king. And he says, put this to music. Why? I want everybody to know. This is the word of God. And in this psalm, he speaks, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. This man is now broken, but he's broken because God wouldn't allow him to deceive himself over sin because he loved him too much. And then David says this, Against you only have I sinned and done evil in your sight. Oh, give us a break, David. What about Uriah? You sinned against him. What about Bathsheba? She's probably raped, for goodness sake. But ultimately, sin is against God. And then later, he cries out to God, later in this psalm, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. In the Old Testament, David understood that the Spirit of God departed from those who were God's people. In the New Covenant, he doesn't. Okay? He will never take his Holy Spirit away from us. That means the standard is higher, that when we mess up, we keep short accounts with God. And if we don't, because he loves us so much, he will pursue us because he wants us to live with a good, good conscience. A friend of mine, a guy called Gerald Coates, well-known, charismatic, controversial leader in England, says this, you either submit to God or he's going to purge you because he loves you so much. He wants you to continue to walk with him. So that's important, that those who truly are saved, they're open to conviction of sin. Fifthly, get in there, when we are born of God, there should be that desire within us to enjoy being part of God's family. That's why, we, that's why we preach church so much. And the word just means those who have been gathered together. Why are we here this morning? Because God has gathered us, and therefore it's, it's, it's natural for us to want to be together with those who are family, like Christmas. Do you not like Christmas? Are you miserable? I mean, if you want to not like Christmas, you can not like Christmas. But don't come to my house at Christmas. We celebrate Christmas. 
We love Christmas, okay? I was once preaching in a big church in the Mexico City, and I showed them some photographs of Christmas trees and decorations and presents and all that sort of stuff. And the pastor said to me afterwards, he said, you're never going to preach in my church again. I said, why? He said, he said because you've got Christmas trees. He said, they're phallic symbols. I said, no, they're not a Christmas tree. I said, Martin Luther was the first. He cut down a Christmas tree, cut down this tree, put lights on it, candles. Said, this is Jesus. Let's celebrate Jesus, light of the world. So you want to be miserable, you can. Go join the Jehovah's Witnesses at Christmas. They give you appreciation for Christmas. That's wonderful to celebrate. So that's why we come together with family. So family time at Christmas is wonderful. Unless you've got loads of grandkids, so it's shortened. But nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, enjoying God's family. What does it say in Acts 2? It says, and the Lord added daily. Added is an important word. If people don't get added, you've got to ask the question, why? Why are they not? They might need some help. We spoke to a guy yesterday. His name was Jeremy. Or he spoke to us for about three quarters of an hour. All I was doing was buying a pair of boots and cabellos or something like that. What's it called? Yeah, is it? Great guy. And he's one of your, he'd been a Marine out in Afghanistan, lovely guy in his 30s. We engaged him. And he said, I know you. I said, well, I've never been to Afghanistan. He said, I know you from somewhere. Well, you, you, you've never been to such and such. I said, oh, is that the open air place? I said, I preached last year. He said, I listened to you last year. I want to tell you, I've changed. He said, I'm no longer this. I said, where are you fellowship? He said, I, I don't. I just listen to sermons. I listen to a lot of music. He said, I, I just have to work on Sundays. I work here. You know, I said, well, I'll tell him about you folks. So if he turns up, be nice to him, please. But, you know, I, now I understand that. He's got to work. That's his job. But you can still search for midweek fellowship. But I felt with him there was a heart, wasn't there, Sue? Boy, we never would have got to the Ryder Cup because he just wanted he just wanted the talk. We have been saved to be part of the family, and that's why small groups are important. Now, I saw all the small group leaders stand up, and I've got to say this: they all look pretty good-looking people to me. Nice people. There's Mike over there and his wife. They're nice people. Why don't I go and join them? Where do you meet Mike? At their home. So go and talk to their nice people. Go and talk to them. Here, why do we have small groups? Not because it's the in thing or was. It's because it's, it's a time we can share our lives, share our burdens, pray for one another, pray for what's going on, be generous, enjoy meals together, break bread together, and see God work in our lives, pray for our kids, all that sort of stuff. That's why we have small groups, because we fellowship. The word is koinonia in the Greek. It means togetherness. It's a powerful, powerful word. So we enjoy being part of God's family. And folks, the church and those groups are not here for our needs. Yeah, we have needs, but, you know, we're such a consumer society now. People see church as another place we go where it meets our needs. And that's not what this is all about. It's about us becoming mature so we can meet our own needs. Here's a wonderful quote about the church. Okay? By the way, smaller churches have far more opportunities to operate as a body than large churches. They're more personal, nimble, and creative. 
If the goal of pastors and church leaders is upon a great service to attract people who will give generously to build up even bigger and provide more professional services, these leaders might become successful in growing a very large church, but they miss the point of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is bottom up, not top down. It thrives when ordinary people see God use them in their domains of work and relationships, and when they use all their creativity and compassion to make a difference in those arenas. The job of kingdom-orientated leaders isn't to impress them or control them, it's to celebrate them, equip them, and release them to do even more for the glory of God. Oh, I like that. Don't you like that? I would love to have written that. I preached it for probably 40 years. What a way of putting it. You see, we're not here to look good. We're here to do good. That's the difference. So that's small groups help us in that. Sixthly and lastly, and then I will dismiss you, as you say here. We wouldn't say that in England. We'd get shot. Those that have been truly saved love the joy of sharing Jesus with others. What did Jesus say to the disciples in that build up to the cross? He said, look, you need to understand, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, good fruit. Now, that, it's not the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and that. It's the fruit of multiplication. It's the fruit of sharing your lives with others. When I was 19 years of age, I used to walk to Hoban Bath Station every evening at 10 to 5, and I left the office at that time, if I did. There was a young woman I used to see walking down the road to the station as well. I'd try and catch up with her, but she was a bit, she was a bit nimble. She used to walk a bit fast, and she had lovely flowing black hair, and she looked pretty good from the rear end, let alone the, the front end. So, and, and, I, and I fell in love with her. I fell in love with her, and I pursued her, and I told everybody about her because I was in love with her. Now, she's been my wife for 52 years now. Okay, and she still looks good, whichever way, and she's getting very embarrassed, and she's got a bit redder in the face, but I don't care because I still love her that much, and even more. When you fall in love with someone, what do you do? You tell people about it, don't you? Well, if you don't, what sort of love is that? It's the same with Jesus, even more so. When we fall in love with Jesus, we just want to tell people about it. You know, when people talk about being a witness or witnessing, really, you know, it's made it something almost that we've that we got to do rather than something that is just comes out of our lives. That's why I love the golf course so often because the golf course, oh, that wrecks my golf. It is a place where you meet people. And yesterday in the shop, it was great to meet this guy. It's, 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 it, who knows what God might do? Sue and I were having a meal some years ago. It was when we, on my 65th birthday, we went on a holiday to Jamaica and we were in a restaurant in the evening. And uh, we were just talking about the kingdom of God and the goodness of God. And uh, in the morning, a young fella came over to our table, he was a waiter, and he said, um, are you the couple that was in the Jade Room restaurant last night? He said, well, the, the lights were very low, so forgive me if I've made a mistake. 
I said, no, we were there. He said, were you talking about the Bible? I said, well, yeah, we're talking about the kingdom of God, which is in the Bible. I said, why, are you a Christian? He said, no, but I want to be. And we spent the next two days with him, on and off, just sharing, presenting Christ. So you can't do any more than that. Uh, now, now, I don't know whether he got saved or not. We know he went through a difficult time. We corresponded for a while. One thing I wouldn't do was send him money. I just felt, no, that just wouldn't help. And we know, through, we, we know he went through bad health. We know he went through a divorce. But about two years ago, we had a photograph of his baptism. Now, now our responsibility is to share our lives with people. If it doesn't happen naturally... And something, something, now we might just need, we've got to help people and teach them and train them, but there ought to be that something which just comes out. Somebody said to me once, but you're an extrovert, it's easy for you. I'm an introvert. I said, yeah, but I drive introverts mad. They need you. And that's true. Often we relate to people that are similar, are similar to us. So... I could have presented to you probably many more evidences this morning. And this is not a checklist. But it, it really helps us to gauge. Gauge where we are and also gauge where others are. So those of you that have got home groups, those of you that lead the young people's groups, it gives you a little, a little help to say, right, where are we on this? You know, are, are, are they hungry for the Word of God? Maybe they are. Maybe they just don't know how to, how to do it. So you teach them how to read the Word of God. They don't pray. Well, why don't you pray? Because no one's taught them. So it helps us. It helps us to gauge where we are, where, where, where others are. And as we're looking to win people for Jesus, it's, Mike and I used to have a lot of discussions, Mike Hagen and I, on, on this one and one of, one of the reasons why I love evangelists being part of the ongoing life of the church we want their gift you know I can preach this stuff week after week and, and, and call people to repentance and what have you no one gets saved an evangelist comes up here and tells a fairy story and people get saved why is that? it's the gift we want all the gifts that's why I spoke in tongues this morning you don't have tongues I've never heard tongues here before and I went to Cameron and said, I'm going to speak in a tongue and you're going to interpret it. I don't think he's ever done it before, have you, Cameron? Have you ever interpreted once? Once. He said to me, really? Yes. Why? I said, well, nobody else is going to, so you better. <laughs> That's how we learn. That's how we learn. That's how we learn. And we want to learn. And so we want to... So what about emotions in all this? We want, do we want people to be saved? Well, what we don't want, we don't want just the emotional. Some of us have got kids who have wandered away from God. And I've got kids that have wandered away from God. Can you ask me if they got saved? Well, they seem to meet with God. They were baptized, all of them. But they're not walking with God. I want to be real. I don't want to falsely to comfort myself, say, well, they made, they made a decision once. Actually, the decision isn't the issue. What is the issue is what sort of heart they had. And if that heart at that time didn't pick up the seed and keep it, then we need, we need loving them, praying for them. And when the opportunity comes, what we don't need is the sort of preaching we saw outside the rodeo, which just, which just gives people the law which can't save anybody. 
Okay, so, so we're going to get emotional about these things. The best thing to do on these things, when you've got, I've got a friend I play tennis with. He was a policeman, very strong guy. And um, he, I taught him to play tennis. He's a pro professional coach now. He's a very good, very good tennis player. But he, I have prayed with him at times. And he went through, he went through a hedge with a hedge trimmer. And the clutch went and it cut this, that cut that finger off. And he was a marksman. So he's lost that, and they were going to cut his hand off because the rest. And he phoned me, and he said, just come down to the hospital quick. I want you to pray. And uh, we, I got to the hospital, and there was a nurse there, and he is covered in blood. He's got a towel around him. It's just soaked in blood. And the nurse says, you, are you okay? Are you going to cope with this? I said, yeah, I see some things in what I do. She said, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm, oh, I know who you are. I've been in some of your meetings. And Neil said, oh, no, not another one. I only wanted one. I, I said, well, you're getting a double dose here, Neil. And, and i tell you what, he stayed with us, what, six weeks, Sue, something like that, because he had to have surgery. And we had to put a screw in our ceiling so we could hang his arm up each night and undress him and put him to bed and goodness knows what else. Now, he's been on the receiving end, and that's not the first one. When his dad died, I was with him. Even put a service together for him so he could take it. He has been on the end of... Of, of, of a lot of love. He loves us to bits. You know, I can't save him. What I can do is I can keep being his friend, keep loving him. He, he has girlfriends, and I, I give him a bad time. I don't condemn his sin, but I don't condone it either. I, I'm not, I'm not going to judge people. What's the point? I'm judging you. I've got three fingers judging me. We've got to learn that. We've got to love people to bits like Jesus is. And at the end of the day, we leave them with Jesus. Okay? We leave them with Jesus. And we trust Jesus. But what we do, and, 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 and so these evidences, they are important to us. Now, this morning, you may have come here. I, I, I don't know you all, but I'm getting to know a lot of you. And uh, we're trying to remember your names. You may have come here this morning. What you've heard this morning is the gospel. I presented Jesus to you. This Jesus who loves you the bits. This Jesus who don't love your sin, but loves you enough to deal with your sin. This, this Jesus that wants you to be part of his family. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, I, I actually thought I was a Christian. I'm not so sure. Well, let's get sure this morning. Or you may have come and thought, wow, I know I'm not a Christian, but this guy seems to make sense, and somehow I'm believing what he says. Look, you're believing because the Holy Spirit is telling you it's true. That means you may come to Jesus at this moment. And so I just want to give this opportunity that if you're in that situation where, one, you're not sure, and you just need to say, Lord, I'm not sure, so please help me, and I'll be happy to stay behind and pray for you. Um, and others will as well. But if you're in that place where you know, wow, I know I'm not in that place, but I believe this guy. You're only believing me because I presented the word to you this morning, but the Holy Spirit is convincing you. This is true. Now is the time for you to say, like I said that Saturday night, count me in. That's all you've got to say. There's no magical formulas because it's the heart at the end of the day. I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up, but I would ask you, if you have made that, that genuine response, just come and talk to one of us so that we can begin to engage with you because we want to. We now want to take you on that journey which takes you to be not just one who's come to Jesus, but one who now walks with Jesus. So let's just bow our heads. 
Father, we thank you for this wonderful, wonderful gospel. We thank you for this wonderful, wonderful Jesus you sent to us. We thank you for this wonderful book that you've left with us that tells us the truth that can set us free. We thank you for this wonderful Holy Spirit that you've breathed into our hearts that we might be born anew. And Lord, we now pray this morning that this word will get into our hearts, that will be helpful to us that are your family here, so that, Lord Jesus, we we can disciple people and help them in this journey from from the beginning of seeking you to the time of becoming mature. But Lord, we do pray for those that are here this morning that are now beginning to have doubts. Wow, did I get that? I'm not sure. We pray, Lord, help them as they come humbly to you now and just say, hey, If I didn't get it, I want it. Help them now, Lord Jesus. And for others that may be here this morning, that this is the first time they've realized how good this gospel is. And they're believing it and realizing, wow, I need in. Lord, would you just help them now to make that response of faith from that good heart uh, that, that Lord is receiving the very good seed. Lord, we we, we ask you because we want your kingdom to come. And so we pray this morning, may your kingdom come in this place, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm not going to say you are dismissed. I can't say that. But folks, enjoy one another. Fellowship over some coffee and what have you. And if you want prayer, just come forward and we'll, we'll, we'll pray whatever it is for you. Okay? Amen. Good.